almost had it. and welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and today we're going to cover the case of Molly and Clay Daniels while I drink my vodka and my meal. On June 18, 2004, in Central Texas, just around dawn, a 1999 Chevy Cavalier was on fire on the side of the road. Another motorist saw the fire and called 911, but by the time the firefighters arrived, there was no helping this car. It was burnt to a crisp. The wheels were melted on the rocks because it was so hot. When they were finally able to get to the car, they did find a body. They couldn't even tell what sex the victim was. They just knew they had a body. So police then, they had to run the plates to see who it came back to. And it came back as Molly and Clay Daniels from Leander, Texas. So they go to the house and Molly and two small children answer the door. And, you know, they're asking her, like, do you know where your husband is? Is he home? Does somebody have your car? And she said, no, husband has the car and she's really not sure where he is. He should be home soon, but I don't know exactly where he is right now. That's when they inform her that her 24-year-old husband and father of her two kids, aged four and one, was in a horrific accident and that he had passed away. Even though they didn't really have a lot to work with at the scene, for visual purposes, there were items that were found in the car, and those were identified to be Clay's. They found his necklace, his shoes, a Harley Davidson pin that he used to wear on his hat. So they they were able to say at that point, then yes, that was Clay. Clay was an unemployed auto mechanic who did not have a lot of respect from people. Uh, pretty much anybody, and especially the people that lived in the town with him. Even at his funeral, his best friend said that he was an asshole. He recently pled guilty to a sexual assault on his seven-year-old cousin that he had committed when he was 16 years old. I guess it took a couple years for the little girl to speak, so at the age of 24, he was finally being brought to justice for it. Well, not, I guess you can't call that justice, uh, But to say this guy wasn't a model citizen, that's an understatement. He was even allowed to stay out of prison after he pled guilty, but he never reported to his probation officer. So that made him end up getting 30 days in jail. Like, dude, what? You got off scot-free. Don't show up. Now you have 30 days. He was due in court that Monday, the 21st of 2014, so he could start his 30 days in jail and then followed was 10 years probation. But that was only three days away. This made people look a little sideways. The timing was a little too convenient. They realized that if they were going to look at this, there was really only a couple avenues they could go. The first thing that they think of is maybe the father of the young girl had something to do with it. You know, he was upset that he only got 30 days. How dare you touch my child? It was a rape. And you get 30 days? And I mean, he was heard around town saying that he wanted Clay to go away. Well, I mean, I'm sure you do. And half the town wanted him to go away too. But even though all this drama with Clay is unfolding, the community still reached out and they were there for Molly. She was now a widow at the age of 21 with two kids to support. 
And she was a receptionist, so she really needed that second income. Her co-workers helped her stock the kitchen, and people sent her money from all over the place. She got donations... And one person said that she put up a sign saying that she was the poor widow and that she needed help for childcare. And I guess somebody obliged and she ended up being able to get a babysitter that was in the neighborhood on a discount rate. But things take a weird turn because within a month, Molly was telling people that she already had a new boyfriend and a new bank account. Nobody knew this, but she received a $100,000 payout from Clay's life insurance policy. Her friends are concerned, so they go to the police, and the case is now kind of reopened. Police also had a bad taste in their mouth just because of the timing of all of it. It's just a little too convenient that he just passes away right before he's supposed to do time. Even though, I mean, 30 days, come on, bro. <laughs> I can't. You gotta remember, though, the body was identified by objects. They had no head, no hands, no feet. Just 14 pounds of body mass. They decided to extract the bone marrow from Clay's hip bone to see if they could get enough of his mitochondria, which is passed maternally for DNA testing, and they would be able to compare that with his mother, Lori. But testing takes up to six months. They know that they can't just sit and wait and rely on that for now. They got to keep working. When they go back over the scene of the accident, they notice that there were no skid marks on the road. That road that he was found off of, the speed limit was 60 miles per hour. And there was no marks at all to show that the car went in that direction. Instead, it looked like a car had been barely moving down the hill and was pushed rather than actually crashed. There was also a lot of signs on the car that proved that this car did not fly down. The gas tank was still intact. That's when they called arson investigator Janine Mather to see what kind of source really caused the fire. The first thing she noticed was the entire driver's seat was burnt, but there was no bodily fluids or remains found on the seat. That was weird. She checked the starter, the battery, fuel line, and the ignition. They were all intact. So really all they had left was just the debris that was left in the car. So they put all that in special containers so they can take it back to the lab. They got back to the lab, they inserted activated charcoal strips and then heated the cans that the debris was in. The strips were then put into a solvent and tested with gas chromatograph mass spectrometry. It showed that the fire was started by charcoal lighter fluid. You can get that anywhere. Now they know that fire was intentionally set. Melissa, who's Molly's sister one day, was at her house and she was hanging out and went to her bathroom and she went in there to go get a Q-tip. And when she turned around, she saw what appeared to be a man laying on her closet floor. It was only like the top half. You could tell he was wearing boxers, but you couldn't see really anything else. And his face was towards the corner. So she had no idea who it was, but like, yo, what the hell's going on? So she confronts her and she's like, uh, you got a guy sleeping in your closet. And Molly's like, no, I don't. She's like, no, no, but you do like i i i saw him and they walk back to the closet the man's gone poof <laughs> melissa's like what the fuck i know i saw a man 
Could you imagine? Oh my god. I don't know if she like didn't search the rest of the house. Like, I'm sorry. I'm not gonna just take your word for it at that moment and let it go. Like, I'm pretty sure I know what I saw and I I feel like I need to keep searching. But I, I guess that's that's just me. They got lucky and the results came back after five months. DNA test, it showed that the body in the car, it wasn't clay. So now they have more questions than they did at the freaking beginning of this whole thing. First of all, who's in the car? Second of all, where the fuck is Clay? They decide, let's follow Molly. And for days, she had a normal routine. Nothing stuck out to them. It wasn't until one day, a man came and picked her up. Must have been her lunch date. They ended up at a Taco Bell. They went inside and ate their lunch. But they were not alone. Investigators were hungry too. So they go in the Taco Bell because they want to get a good look at the guy. They need a taco. One of them walks by to get the view of this new man in her life. And the guy notices that this guy is like an identical twin to Clay. Except now this guy's hair is black. Other than that, identical. So, yeah, now they're gonna go up to him and be like, uh, excuse me, can I have some identification? He tells them that his name is Jake Gregg and actually had an identification card on him. Hands it over. But police are, like, looking at him and they're like, yeah, no. So they took him into custody. During his questioning, he did. He confessed that he was, in fact, Clay Daniels. Molly's story, on the other hand, was that she had no idea that Clay had faked his death until a month after the crash when he just showed up one day and was like, hey, baby, I'm alive. And that's when he told her what he did. Uh, (laughs) I don't know how I'd feel about that. If, If that was legit, I'd be super pissed. Clay told them that he just wanted them all to move to Mexico and start over, have a whole new life. Nobody knows them. He had a fake name. I don't know if the rest of the fame was going fake, but... That was their plan. He wanted to get plastic surgery on his face and he was also going to have dental surgery. And Molly wanted a tummy tuck. He also did admit that he was the one sleeping in the closet. He said that Molly talked loud enough that it woke him up and he was able to get out of there before they walked back to the closet to check on him. Abracadabra. (laughs) It's weird though because the only thing he wouldn't talk about was who's in the car. You know, obviously their mind is wandering. Like, did you murder somebody? Did you kill a homeless person? Did you find a dead homeless person? What did you do? How did you get a dead body? Well, it turns out he ended up telling his cellmates what he did. And he said he dug up a grave at the Pebble Mound Cemetery. He said that they found a headstone that looked like it had been tampered with and that it was right by the front gate where the crash was. So they were hoping maybe they could like incorporate the two. But they finally identified her as Charlotte Davis. She was 81 years old and she just died six months before the crash. So she had not been there very long. So how that was tampered with, 
I don't know. But they know now they gotta start building a case on Molly. They do not buy what she is trying to sell. They go to her job and they look into her computer. Even though six months had gone by, they hit the jackpot. Her computer had been invaded by a keystroke virus right before the accident. So this worm recorded every letter, every window, every anything, email, anything she did, it recorded it and it saved it in a text file. (laughs) When they did a word search, they found words like unidentifiable body, forensics on a body, a burned car, gasoline fire, a burned body, 15,000 degree Fahrenheit? What in the hell? But this proves she was lying. But you helped plan the thing. What are you talking about? You didn't know until a month later. I don't think so. So they get a warrant for her house and that's when they find even more. They found two bottles of charcoal starter fluid in the kitchen and when they tested it against the ones that they found at the scene, one of them were a match. Prosecutors thought that they had been planning this for weeks by looking in the obituaries to identify a good grave for them to dig up. They wanted an older victim, one with less traffic, you know what I'm saying? After they got her in the ravine, Clay threw all of his personal belongings in the car so people would automatically think that it was him. I mean, it makes sense in a sense. <laughs> makes sense in a sense. You know what I mean? Like, clearly, those are your belongings. People are going to be like, oh, it had to have been him. Molly, she gave in and pled guilty for insurance fraud and hindering her husband's apprehension. She knew everything they had, and it was clear as day. She told them that she watched a lot of CSI and Law and Order to learn how to stage the crime. Apparently, she didn't watch enough episodes because she received 20 years in prison. Clay pled guilty to insurance fraud, arson, and desecration of a corpse and received 30 years, plus an additional 20 years for the sexual assault charge. If it wasn't for their instincts and gut feelings about clay and how creepy could he really be and they did that dna testing they would have totally gotten away with this totally and maybe planned it a little better like leave afterward the insurance company did get justice at a subsequent trial molly's family members they have custody of the two small children Molly said on Dateline NBC that she believed the legal system had railroaded Clay and that a good man like him could have never molested a child. She wanted him to continue to stay home as a stay-at-home dad without any limitations on where they could live and that is why they hatched the insurance fraud plan. Molly served at least 12 years of her sentence and was released from prison sometime after 2016. This story is so fucked up in so many different ways from how do you confuse your children like that? Like she had to convince her children that that wasn't their father. One was almost five. (laughs) How do you do that? Oh, jeez. All those people you took money from and gifts from and you knew the whole time it was a sham. I just say shame on you. Karma is a bitch. If you want to keep the party going and hear the rest of my thoughts on this case, make sure you head over to the Patreon page and come get your crime cap with me. 
I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you so much. Don't forget all the ways you can while there. Like, follow, subscribe, give that five-star rating. Feel free to tell me what you think about the case. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram, Crime Over Cocktails. Episodes are also always available at crimeovercocktails.com where you can check out merch and become a Patreon to help support the show. All right, everybody, go lightning and we'll talk crime another time.